All right, Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. We've turned a proverbial page in the letter of the epistles to the Romans. Of course, we understand our chapter breaks and our chapter divisions uh, were added later by translators. Paul's letter would have been one continuous flowing thought. And so chapter 8 connects with everything we've read previously, and we see the important theological word, therefore. It's an important word because that word shows us that there's a reason for why he's getting ready to say what he's going to say. Uh, we've been studying about the realities of uh, the, the old life, the old nature dealing and living within us, but yet we have a new nature. The Apostle Paul's transparent testimony when he says that uh, I know what I want to do, but I'm not able to do the things that I know I should do. And we've been studying about the battle, the war, the rage that's going on inside of him. But he comes to this glorious conclusion. And it's, again, I don't, I'm not trying to do anything to correct the scriptures, uh, even, even arguing over a chapter divide. But this is one of those unfortunate times where it kind of cuts our mind off. And if you read through your Bible, oftentimes you, you read to a point and you'll read it to, okay, end of the chapter, stop, I'll pick up tomorrow. Here's an example of where uh, the verse, very first verse could have been included at the end of chapter number seven, and it would have kind of tied the ending on it. He says this, he says, there is therefore now, that's an important word, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Look at those words, there is therefore now. Uh, what an important distinction that is, that there is now therefore no condemnation. Condemnation is a word uh, that is, simply takes us back to the reality of what our justification means. Being justified means that Christ has bore in himself all the guilt of our sin. It has paved the way of our deliverance. It has given us the way in which what we used to once be, we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses, and yet now it's pronounced to those that are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Chapter number eight, as an overview, gives us this, uh, this unbelievable description of the benefits that come with being justified. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. I could tell you today that you indeed, as children of God who are saved and you know Christ, you have a blessed future. You have a blessed life ahead of you. That doesn't mean it's going to be without problems, but I could say you have the temporal blessings of God to look forward to. But understand something, the blessings of God do not end when this earthly life ends. The blessings of God go on for all of eternity. This condemnation that I'm not experiencing now, nor will I ever experience it. I will never be separated from the love of Christ. I will never be separated from him ever again. That is a glorious benefit of being justified. What do we ultimately want as believers today? If I was to tell you today, listen, you're a believer in God, you're a believer in Christ, but here's one thing I can't promise you. I cannot promise you that you won't someday be condemned. Now, if that was your hope today, that's kind of a, a hope with a hole, isn't it? 
What, what purpose would there be if I was to tell you, yeah, you're a believer today, but there may come a time, either tomorrow or maybe 50 years from now, you may find yourself condemned again. Well, that wouldn't be very hopeful. As a matter of fact, that'd be quite downright depressing to think about the reality. Wait a minute, I have something today, but I may not have it tomorrow. He says you're not going to have condemnation today, and you're not going to have condemnation tomorrow. Why? You're in Christ Jesus. The believer has freedom from condemnation. Now, there's two things that every believer wants, I believe, today, and every believer ought to want, is we all ought to want to be delivered from the curse of sin. And by our justification in Christ, we have been. Every believer ought to be wanted, want to be, have been delivered from the guilt of our sin, that which condemned us. We want deliverance from that. We want to be alive in Christ. We also want deliverance, what Paul was talking about in chapter number 7, we all want deliverance from the practice of sin. You know, we ought to want to be delivered from the practice of sin. Paul's going to mention this phrase, to walk in the Spirit. So we want to live in Christ and walk in the Spirit. That's what those who are not condemned want to do. We have an interest in this Christ because he saved us. We have this saving interest in our union that because we've been saved, we've also been delivered, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now let's make one thing very clear. Paul does not say in this verse that we are not condemnable. In other words, there's still within us that which deserves to be condemned. Okay, that's not what he says. He doesn't say there is therefore you are no longer condemnable in its purest form. So we understand that there's something being provided here. There's something being interceded because we've learned from chapter number seven, there is still sin within us. And by the way, all sin is condemnable. The smallest sin that remains in you is enough to condemn you and separate you from Christ for all of eternity. But Paul gives a glorious truth. There is therefore now no condemnation, now or in the future. We'll see. We understand that sin, sin can no longer, because we're in Christ, bring us into condemnation because we are now in Christ. We won't get to this for a number of weeks, but Paul later says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession, notice this, for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's not that we are not still condemnable. Because sin still dwells within us, but Christ has borne the penalty. Christ has borne the judgment. Christ has borne the condemnation for all of our sins. And here's the glorious truth. Not just our sins today, but the sins in our past and the sins in our future. He has paid for the sin you're going to commit tomorrow. He's already paid for the sin that dwells in you today. He's paid for what you did yesterday. 
You know, one of the hardest things for any of us to do is understand that when you're under the blood of Christ, there is no condemnation even for what you've done previously. You know, lots of us as believers struggle with our past lives, right? We, we all have a closet of things that nobody, we want nobody to know about. We have things in our life that probably if, if it got out about us, we would think our people's opinion of us would completely change. Rightfully or wrongly, we have those things, don't we? But Christ is even telling us, Paul's telling us, you're not even condemnable for those things. I'm not going to commend, I'm not going to, I'm not going to condemn you for those things. You still have the sin. But I am promising you through Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. What an amazing truth this is. When we think about what it is to have no condemnation, it takes us all the way back to when we started and looked at the guilt of the first transgression that Adam, and that's what brought us under the judgment of God. Because Adam's sin, through one man's sin, all have sinned. Through Adam, all men must go through the same process. But yet through one man, Christ Jesus, he has purchased our justification and our sanctification and has given him the authority and the power to say, you are now no longer under condemnation. That same God who provides our justification is the same God through Christ Jesus who says you are now no longer under any condemnation. Notice again, it says, this condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, this answers a question that was asked back in Romans 7, 24 and 25. That's why I said it's unfortunate sometimes these, these thoughts are disconnected. Because look what Paul left off with. Remember, the sermon title was what last week? Oh, wretched man that I am. This believing, converted, saved hero of the faith comes to this conclusion. I'm a wretched man. But then he goes on to give this glorious praise. He says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's referring to condemnation. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Romans 8.1 is an answer to verses 24 and 25, especially in verse 24 when he says, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who delivered him from the body of this death? Christ Jesus did. Christ Jesus delivered you from that condemnation. He delivered you from that. This is the answer. And look what Paul says. I thank God through Jesus Christ, Romans 7.25. What an amazing truth about there no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But then look what he says in verse 2 of Romans 8. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We've been studying a lot about the law of sin and the law of God. But look what he says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now this is not the reason, listen carefully, this is not the reason we're not condemned. Okay, is everybody following me? Paul is not saying that the reason you're not condemned is because you walk 
For the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin. It's not because we're not doing that, or it's because we're doing that. Look what he says. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, this conclusion he's coming to here is he's saying, understand that the reason, like he had said in verse number one, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, that is not the reason we're not condemned. In other words, because you walk in this newness of life is not the reason that you are not condemned. The flesh, remember, is our master. It's not supposed to be our master, rather. It's not supposed to be our guide. Christ is our Lord, and it's the Holy Spirit that is to be our guide. In other words, Paul is saying because you're in Christ Jesus, we ought to be able to walk after the flesh. But the reason when we walk after the flesh is not the reason we're not condemned. This is all part of this gift that's been given. Because notice he says very clearly, Christ Jesus, in verse 2, hath made me free. Christ Jesus hath made me free. This law of the spirit of life, in verse 2, what is that? As a justified believer today, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling and living within us. Our law of life is the Holy Spirit. It brings us into a new relationship with God. That Spirit is intending to deliver us from the practice of sin. Remember, that's one of the two things a believer wants to be delivered. I want to be delivered from the practice of sin. How am I going to be delivered from the practice of sin? By the Holy Spirit indwelling me. But again, remember, it's not the walk of my life that is making me no longer under condemnation. The reason I'm not condemned is for one reason and one reason only. It's through Christ Jesus. These are principles that ought to be active in our life after we've been justified. Christ Jesus hath made me free. The gospel of Jesus Christ has freed believers forever from the law of sin and the law of death. Why? Because everything we needed was met in Christ. Every need we had was met in Christ Jesus. We have a hard time believing that. We often think that there's got to be something that I've got to do but understand that all that we have, we've been made free from condemnation in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds us again in verse number three about the weaknesses of the law. He said, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, we couldn't keep it. The weakness and the inability to save us, remember, doesn't arise out of a defect in God's law. The problem is with us. The law is perfect. The law is holy. Paul says the flesh, it was weak through the flesh. In other words, we couldn't keep that law. Our flesh is the weakness, not God's law. The law can't save us. Why? Because we can't keep it. Paul had told us in Romans 7, 18, remember, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. We're also told all the way back in Romans 3, in verse number 10, the Bible tells us as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all they are to all they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Notice the emphasis there is none. There is none. There is no one. There is nobody. We have a hard time putting ourselves in that category. We are one of the none that would seek after God. By ourselves, we would not seek after God. There is nothing we can do to provide our own righteousness. So what did God do as a result of that? Romans 8 again, back in verse number 2 or 3, for the, what the law could not do in that it was weak to the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now notice there's an emphasis there in the likeness of sinful flesh. It does not, beca- it does not say Christ became a sinner. Okay? There, are, there are denominations that teach Christ became a sinner. He did not become a sinner. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh. What is the likeness of sinful flesh? It's a human body. This is sinful flesh. He took on a likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Don't miss this. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What can the law do? The law can do nothing more than show us sin. But the law can never stop you or enable you from committing sins. The law will never stop you from committing sins. But it also, the law cannot atone for your sin. Because we can't keep the law. Because of this sinful flesh. Jesus Christ, without ceasing to be God, Christ became like us in all areas except for our sin. He bore our guilt. He bore himself as a sacrifice to God. But then look at that phrase, condemn sin in the flesh. Christ destroyed the power of sin by what? By bearing its guilt. He took the punishment and bore the guilt of that which he was not a sinner. The result of that work of atonement is very simple. His atoning work is a people. A people who have now been brought under the direction and the guide by the quickening of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why we want to keep the law now? Because now we want to keep the law of God from the heart because the Holy Spirit of God now is reminding us and teaching us and showing us that we want to be obedient to God. The reason you want obedience to God today is because of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That Holy Spirit is evidence that there is no condemnation on you either. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never leaves you. That law in and of itself was weak. But God, by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, Christ can justify the ungodly and He can make the chief of sinners righteous. You know when Paul, by his own word, says, I am chief of sinners? Paul didn't say that to try to get attention. Paul truly believed it. Paul believed if you were to find all the sinners in this world, you're not going to find one worse than me. You know, we live in a society today, most people don't want to take, they don't want to 
they don't want to give themselves credit for being the worst sinner that ever lived. They want to give credit for being the best of God's choice. In other words, we want to say, I'm God's choice servant. No, if you had the right attitude, you would say, no, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. The minute we start standing up in front of people and saying, listen, God couldn't have done better, better than me. God created me. I'm, I'm God's choice servant. Man, I cringe when another preacher introduced another preacher and said, this is one of God's choice servants. No, he ought to be saying, here's one of God's chief sinners. Because the man who's allowed himself to be called God's choice servant is already telling you about the view he has of his own sin. You're not a choice servant. The only choice you are is that God chose you to salvation, not because of anything how good you are. God would do just fine in his work without you. I don't know what this church would do without me. They'd be just fine. They couldn't survive without me. They'll be just fine. Because it's not the church of that man, the church of that woman, or the church of that pastor. It's the church of God. They'll be just fine. When we think about the realities of what Paul's claiming and what Paul said that he was, he realized my only source of righteousness was Christ. That was my only representative. Condemned sin in the flesh. Christ not only obeyed the perfect law, but he was condemned and punished for, punished for our offenses. See, the Lord Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. He didn't break a single law. Romans 5.19 tells us this, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul summarized that entire argument between the offense, the righteousness, between condemnation, between justification, realizing that all that we can claim and all that we can say that we are today is because of what we are in and through Christ Jesus. Romans 8.4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, there's a phrase that the righteousness of the law fulfilled, or we might say fully met in us. The reason that Christ came by his active and passive obedience, that all believers, we would be justified, sanctified, made holy, be accepted in him. Now, this is, this is one of those strange mysteries. Again, listen carefully. In Christ, in Christ, all believers have honored the law and satisfied the justice of God and are perfect before God. Now notice, if you drop the words in Christ Jesus off, that becomes blasphemy. Okay? That's how... You know the difference between truth and error? <laughs> That's how simple it is. We're not perfect. We have not honored the law. We have not satisfied the wrath of the justice of God. And we're not perfect before God apart from Christ. But when Christ, when God looks at us 
who are in Christ, he sees the perfect satisfaction of his justice, the perfect satisfaction of his wrath, and we are perfect in the sight of God through Christ Jesus. I think if we could even get a glimpse and just a, just a hint of understanding what that means. The only way that means anything to you is when you go back to being the chief of sinners. How can the chief of sinners in the sight of God be honored and accepted by a holy, perfect God? How can I be perfect before God? Because he sees his son. When he looks at believers who are in Christ, he sees his son. We stand redeemed without condemnation because of that imputed righteousness of Christ that has been placed into our account where what should have been was nothing but our wickedness. And yet, Paul very clearly says that this righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, again, if you misunderstand Scripture, you think Paul's saying, hey, there's a way I can fulfill the law. The only way we can fulfill the law is in Christ Jesus. The only way we cannot walk after the flesh anymore is if we walk in the Spirit. And then look what he says in verse 5. He says, for, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There are only two categories of people. Okay? In this world, there is only two people. Those people are those in their fallen nature and those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Every person... That's what it's the difference between them. You either have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you're in Christ. If you're void of the Spirit, you're still in the flesh. You lack the Spirit of God. There is nobody who has a little bit of both as far as their salvation. In other words, you're not still, you're either in or you're out. But these, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. I believe clearly Paul is referencing those who are the unregenerate. Those are the people that are mind the things of this world and they mind the things of the flesh. Their main concern is not about their spiritual need. Their main concern is their happiness, their health. The honoring the flesh is their main concern. Those that are in Christ, that's not our main concern today. Our main concern is not whether or not all things in this life are squared away. Now look, it doesn't mean today I don't want to be a saved, healthy person or I don't want to be a, a saved, happy person. But that's not the primary goal. Our primary goal is not the temporal things or the things the flesh wants. Our primary goal ought to be the things that the Spirit wants. The Holy Spirit is concerned about things, about their relationship with Christ. Today, I don't, I, don't mean to be, I don't mean to be rude about this, but your greatest concern today ought to be more about your relationship with Christ than anything else in this world or any other matter. I ought to be more concerned about my, my relationship with Christ than my health or even my happiness. Our Bible counseling has gotten to the place where we simply say this, well, Christ just wants you to be happy. 
That's not biblical counsel. Now, I believe there's no other happier person in the world than a person who's in Christ Jesus who knows they're not condemned. You're not going to hear a happier statement all this week. But those that are minded the things of the flesh, they're more concerned about the temporal things. They're more concerned about the temporal happiness. Paul is living on a much higher plane. He's living on a spiritual level. He's not so concerned. If you read Paul's life, Paul didn't, was not concerned about the things of this life. He was concerned about the things of eternity. When we walk after the flesh, it simply means that those unregenerate who are minding those things, but if you have the Spirit, you're concerned about your relationship with Christ. You're concerned about growing in the grace of God. And in a practical manner, you're concerned about your relationship with other people, living a life that is glorifying to God. To, carnal is just to mean simply to be in a fleshly manner. Now, just like Paul said, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, which means there's none now or none in the future. Do you realize today to be outside of Christ, death and life are not just a future destiny, but they're the present spiritual condition that they're in. In other words, to be out of Christ, death is a present reality. That's why the Bible says you are dead now, present tense, in your trespasses and sins. It doesn't say you will die. It says you're dead in them spiritually. The great promise on the other side for the believer is there's not condemnation now and there's not condemnation in the future, but for the unregenerate, there's not only death now, but there's death to come. And that's a spiritual death. To be carnally minded is death. That's the, that is the state of spiritual death. The man who is taken by the kingdom of this world, everything he does and seeks and attains is all to, to feed the flesh. He's already judged and condemned. He's already under condemnation. But to be spiritually minded, look what it says, is life. The regenerated believer who sets his affection on the things above, we're part of a kingdom that is now, but also a kingdom that will come. His kingdom, Christ's kingdom. We're not only alive today, but we're alive forevermore. I wish I could describe to you what everlasting life will be like. Eternity is a present possession. You as a child of God already possess eternal life. Eternity doesn't begin when you die. Eternity with Christ began the day of your conversion. You're already, you already possess eternal life. It's not something you're going to get later. It's the same as condemnation. You're not going to get, you don't have it now and you're going to get it later. It's not, you don't have eternal life now, but you're going to get it later. You have eternal life now and you will have it forevermore without an ending. Carnal mindedness is more concerned about living for the flesh. True carnal minds hate God. Carnal mind, carnal men rather, they don't hate their idols, they don't hate their gods, but they hate the living God. The carnal mind will not be subject or submissive to the will of God. The carnal mind says, I want nothing to do with God. I don't want nothing to do with the way of God. I don't want anything to do with the providence of God. And I certainly don't want anything to do with the gospel of God. 
We understand that man left in his carnal state will always have a hatred towards God. We haven't, well, we've gotten to part of, actually we've been through this a, a while ago, but if you could turn back to, to Jeremiah, we, we resumed our Jeremiah series on Wednesday nights, but a year ago when we were in this study, we had already covered Jeremiah 13. I want you to turn there for a minute and you think about the carnal man and you think about what Jeremiah was writing here about can a man who is unsubmissive to the will of God or the way of God, can he make himself that way? And Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 13, uh, verse number 22, says, And if thou say in thine heart, Wherefore come these things upon me? For the greatness of thine iniquity are thy skirts discovered, and thy heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that ye are accustomed to. That question, it's in, just as it's impossible for the Ethiopian to change his skin or his natural skin, it is impossible for a sinner to simply repent and do good. You're not going to change a man's nature apart from God. Man is exactly who he is, a depraved sinner. Man cannot save himself from the very sin that he inherited from Adam. Only God can save sinners. Yet, we think that the carnal mind here, again, I'm saying all these things because we think that man can move in from this true carnal, carnal mind into this true godly mind. That's why Paul is writing here the difference between those that are condemned and those who are not condemned. Those that are condemned are the ones that are still in the flesh. Those that are still hate the way of God. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us, the most important thing we could possibly know about the heart. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not only is man's soul, his very soul corrupted by sin, but it's wrapped in layers of carnality and it's beyond any earthly help. It's impossible for a man who's in his carnality to just simply change his mind. Augustine was once asked this question, how can snow be made warm? And he said this, only by making it cease to be snow. In other words, its entire nature has to change. Snow melts, it's no longer snow. Man's natural state, his natural mind cannot be mended or modified. It must be destroyed. It must be brought down. Only God can do that change. Isaiah 55, verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 55, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. The point is not that God's not beyond comprehension, but that sinners, in order to be acceptable to God, we must turn from our sinful thoughts and ways to God's ways. 
We can't do that apart from God. He goes on and says, For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and making it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower and to breed bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall return unto me void. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. That's in reference to literally the changing of man and the changing of his thoughts, the changing of his intents. The word of God has to change a man. It's not just man's intellectual will that's going to change it. Carnal man is enmity against God, verse 6 says, for to be carnally mind is death, but to be spiritual mind is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, verse 7, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The mindset of an unregenerate man is hatred of God. It's impossible for those without the Spirit to obey God's commandments from the heart. Remember, what happens is we're, we know we cannot live according to the law of God, but the law is written upon our hearts, but we cannot even obey in the least, the least amount without the Spirit of God. In the flesh, verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Outside of being in Christ Jesus, there is nothing we can do or say that is pleasing to God. You've heard me say this. You realize even if a unregenerated man or woman says, praise the Lord, that praise is not received. It's not acceptable to God. The only praise that's acceptable to God is praise for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize there are people that even the simple thing that we do every service, we pick up our songbooks and we sing, you realize to the unregenerate, the unsaved person, those words that are sung mean nothing? You would be better off as a, an unbeliever to not sing at all. Because you don't know what you're singing. You don't know why you're singing. We're singing these things as people who know what it is to be redeemed. Now, am I suggesting that? No, I would tell even an unbeliever, pick it up and sing, but they can't sing from a knowledge of him. They can't sing from an understanding of him. They're singing out of just what is part of that tradition. But you know, when we sing the hymns and we preach and we pray and we praise the Lord, we're praising out of a heart that's been changed, out of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. The Holy Spirit of God is doing everything they can He does to remind us of the goodness of who we are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit never elevates Himself above Christ. His purpose is to remind you of the goodness of Jesus Christ that dwells within you. The Holy Spirit's goal is to speak Christ so that when times come, when you begin to trust in your own righteousness again, the Holy Spirit says, there is none righteous, no, not one. The only righteousness there is, is in Christ Jesus. When you want to go down the sinful path that your old nature wants to go, it's the Holy Spirit of God that says, no, don't go that way. And you say, praise the Lord for the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God that prevented me from taking that next step. All of those things are working together into those who are not condemned. 
He says, in the flesh cannot please God. Outside of Christ, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say that's pleasing to God. Those that are in Christ are accepted and pleasing in His sight because we are in Christ. Paul clearly and definitively declares in verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So many times people like to go to this and say, well, this is just a waffling back and forth of an unregenerated person. That's not what Paul's intent here. Paul is writing about the difference between those that are in the flesh and those that are in the spirit. Paul clearly draws the line between those that are condemned and those who are not condemned. Those that are condemned are those in the flesh. Those that are not condemned are those in the spirit. He says, you are not in the flesh. He's telling them, you're in the other you're not in that side that's condemned. You're in the side that is not condemned. It doesn't mean we're not human. It doesn't mean that you don't have sinful passions. It doesn't mean you don't have sinful appetites. It doesn't even mean that you don't commit sin or have sinful desires or that your old nature is completely gone. But what it does mean is that you do have a new nature. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Christ should be the dominant force in your life. Again, because of that battle we had in verse chapter 7, we realize that war is going on. Paul is not preaching sinless perfection. To be in the Spirit is to be ruled over, to be influenced by, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. They that are justified in Christ are also sanctified in Christ, and we have the Spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit. If a man does not have the Spirit dwelling in him, he is not one of God's. You don't have to tell a believer if they possess the Holy Spirit or not. There's confirmations. You know he's there. Again, we're so often looking for signs that our flesh has gained acceptance with God. Nothing in your flesh accepts has gained acceptance with God. The only thing that's gained acceptance with God is Christ. You take Christ out of the equation of anything scripturally and you're left with nothing. Because it's only through Christ that we have any hope at all. He says in verse 9, but you're not in the flesh but in the spirit of, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This body of flesh says in verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, this body of flesh and everything that pertains to it is subject to death because of sin. That's why your earthly body is going to die. That's why none of us escape that. 10 out of 10 people die. Unless the Lord returns in glorious fashion, if life continues... This room, if life goes on long enough, I'm not trying to be a buzzkill, but every one of us will die. There'll be a, come a day when you would walk into this building and not a single person who used to sit here on this particular day will be on this planet. That's a result of the death of the sinful flesh. Folks, every loved one we bury, every time we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, every time we have to experience the, or the sorrows of this life, never lose sight of the fact that the reason that those things are happening is because of sin. But there is coming a day when that will no longer be experienced. 
You will never bury another loved one. You will never sorrow. You will never sorrow as people who have no hope. You will not. There is coming a day when that's coming. And part of that goes all the way back to the promise of there being no condemnation. Because for those that are not in Christ Jesus, those that are condemned, the only thing the Bible promises them is an eternal life in a place called hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I hope to God today that we don't wish that on anybody. And that our prayer is for people to be saved. We know salvation is of the Lord, but that does not prevent us from getting on our knees and praying for God to save souls. And if your, if your ode becomes, I don't really care, I'm just glad I'm one of the elect, I'm glad I'm saved, I'm glad I'm not condemned, I'm happy with that, there's something desperately wrong. My goal and my desire ought to be, I want to see people saved, I want them to know this gospel, I want them to hear the gospel of Christ. I want God to bring opportunities in my life when I can give glory to God and have a discussion with somebody, even across from a, with a cup of coffee, about the goodness of who Jesus Christ is. All because I have the ability because of this promise that there's no condemnation. Can you imagine being the one who's not condemned speaking to the one who is condemned? You know, the only illustration I can give, it's quite crude, but you think about the reality of a person who's committed a crime and they're sitting on death row. As far as the state's concerned, they are absolutely positively condemned. You as a, a visitor or as a preacher or whatever it may be, you go in and you're sitting on the other side of that. You're not condemned. It's that distinctively of a difference. There's one who condemnation is awaiting you. The other one is saying, I'm not under the penalty of what that individual is facing. That's how we look at the spiritual life. If there's no condemnation for you, you are in Christ Jesus. But on the other side, there are people that we know who are sitting in that very seat right now. And we understand, again, we're not trying to outdo God and trying to be above God, but we know we've been given the commandment. People say all the time, why do I preach the gospel? If, if, if God is the one that saves, why does it matter? Because he says to go and preach the gospel to every creature. It does not negate our responsibility. How salvation is of the Lord does not negate what we're being commanded to do. No, we're not the one that saves a person, but we are told to be the people that go and preach and proclaim. This natural body, it's dying, verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, here's the hope, dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You have the very Holy Spirit of God that raised up Jesus is the same Holy Spirit of God that's going to raise you up. Life-giving. Quickening. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Life-giving spirit dwells within you. The natural body, although it's dying because of sin, it's subject to affliction, it's subject to disease, it's subject to infirmities, weakness, eventually death because of sin. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you by the grace of God through faith, death is not the end. For he that raised Christ from the dead shall also at the right time, at the appointed hour, will raise our bodies from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15. Read the whole chapter. One day, again, not to be morbid, they're going to lay this shell in the ground. 
but one day it will be raised again. This body will not always be in corruption and always in ruin, but it will be raised in the image of Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. My body is going to be raised into the very image of Christ. I love what it says in 1 John 3. Let me turn there quickly. If you can get there, that's great. If not, just listen. 1 John 3. I've, I've quoted this many, many times. Verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. There's that word now again. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Our hope today includes the love and the reverence for the reality that Christ is one day coming and we are to be in expectation and love the appearing that he's coming again. Now you can get caught up in a lot of the details about how it's going to happen and where you are on the, uh, on the end time spectrum. I've told you folks and I'll tell you again, here's my end times perspective. Be looking for Christ. Because I think when it's all said and done, we all have missed it. Because we're all experts in how he's going to do it. All I know is that when he ascended, they said to those men, why you stand up gazing into heaven, the same Jesus will come in like manner as you've seen him go. So what am I looking for next? I'm looking for Christ. I'm not looking for an event. I'm not looking for something. I'm just looking for Christ. And if that's today, praise the Lord. If it's not, praise the Lord too. If I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death first, I still have the same promise. Jesus Christ is on the other side. He's either coming to get us or we're going to him. But either way, there's no condemnation. We're going to where he is. Folks, make no mistake about it. We may be chasing to the Lord. And by the way, chasing is evidence you're one of his. You may be chastened, but you'll never be condemned. One of the great privileges we have in Christ Jesus is now there's no condemnation, nor will there ever be. We will never be under the condemnation of God again, all because of our union in and through Christ Jesus. Let's stand all around if you would.